2 Timothy chapter 4. And uh, we're only going to get through five verses. We may not get through that far because uh, it's, uh, there's a lot that we can unpack on that whole issue. So 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just read the first five verses. <clears throat> Follow along with me as I read. Listen well or uh, pay, pay attention as it's projected. There we go. This is all part of a charge Paul is giving to Timothy. Remember, we tried to, let me step back for just a minute. This is the last letter that Paul has to give to the church as he knows it. He's a prisoner in Rome, soon to be eventually tried for his crimes and appeal that he made. Um, and so he's trying to get it across, the importance of passing the baton to the next generation, to Timothy in this case, and who uh, has the task of training others also. So chapter 4 begins this way. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. <clears throat> Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of great a number a great number of teachers <clears throat> to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. <clears throat> Last week we talked about the terrible times with the descriptions, 19 characteristics of what our time is going to look like. And uh, today I want to turn that corner and now deal with what do we, how do we respond with those terrible times that are there? How, how will we respond? What will be our choice in the process? <clears throat> and so there are several things that are pointed out here in admonition, encouragement, challenges that come to Timothy from Paul. And I want us to capture some of those today. Um, I almost have to back up a little bit. I can tell you that the first in the PowerPoint business, the first is the priority, the priority of the preached word. When when Paul gives that admonition, that charge in verse two, preach the word. But even before you get to that admonition, that charge, I need to back up a little bit. <clears throat> so look with me for just a moment at some of the grammar. I know you didn't come to church to have a grammar lesson. I know that may be the last thing on your things I'd like to do before I die list, you know, bucket list. But uh, let me let me just give you a couple little observation points. First of all, the main 
thrust or, or, or the power of that first verse is, is this. I give you this charge. That's at the end of the first verse. There's a couple descriptive phrases that are ahead of that. I'll get to those in a minute. But here's the heart. This is the charge. When you look at the end of verse 1, you'll see after the word charge is a colon. And that usually means there's a list or sequence of things coming, a short grocery list. And so you'll find among that charge the following things. Preach the word. Be prepared, correct, rebuke, encourage. And those are five areas. We may package them a little differently here today. But but here's, here's the heart of what we're talking about today. Here is your charge. This particular portion of scripture, probably more than many others, is used or has been used in installation services of new pastors for churches because it's appropriate. It's, it's a word of challenge to them in the new responsibility that they have. Now, I, we'll, we'll see what God is up to in this whole process where we have a prospective interview uh, coming up probably later in the month <clears throat> to see or determine how God is moving with that. This is working in the heart of the person that has interest, how the church is doing, uh, that all well, that will happen. And, and if, if everything moves forward and the candidating thing occurs, and if everything moves forward from there and, uh, and we feel comfortable, you feel comfortable extending a call to that particular pastor, there will come a point in time, at least there used to be a point in time, when you would have an installation service. And sometimes you would have at a time when you'd have other area churches come and you'd have participants and someone to bring to a charge to the congregation and someone to charge to the pastor. And then, then, then they would have the leadership pray over the pastor and officially install him and his family in ministry to this particular local church. Now that may all happen. It may look different. It might be something. I have no idea what they're doing these days. I, I really don't know. Uh, with all of the other things going on in our world, 2020 is an unusual season for sure. But the, the charge here is, is the heart of what Paul is talking about. Understanding the, the, the concern, the, 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 the passion that Paul has to make sure that this thing keeps moving this embracing the gospel of Christ is able to move ahead. And he uses this phrase before he gets to the charge, the content of it. He says, here are these descriptive phrases. He says, first of all, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Let me So look at that first verse, unpack it just a little bit. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's a phrase that we talked about before. It's the phrase, the Latin phrase called quorum deo, before the face of God. And everything that we do is before God's face. He knows where we're at. He knows who we are. He knows what's going on in our world. And everything that we do is before his face. You get up in the morning and look in the mirror uh, and you take a look at your face and you say, oh, okay, I need to shave or oops, I got a little boo-boo here, or, or, or you may say, good Lord, morning. Or you may say, good morning, Lord, 
I, I, I know which way it works for you in terms depending how that day goes, but I feel that but you, you look at you look at your face in terms of the mirror. Before any charge is given, we always have to remember that whatever it is that God asks us to do or charges us to do, it's always done before his face. It's always done in his presence. And everything that we do, we do for him and do as unto the Lord. You can never get away from the charge. You, you can never get away from a charge without being very much aware that in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, that's an important piece. We have the description there about what his function or role is. Now, none of this is in the notes, just in case you're curious. It's not in there. This is all free stuff that we have to get to before we get to the other stuff. He was going to judge the living and the dead. Um, it's not my job to be judging. I understand there's the scriptural admonition to be that we judge with righteous judgment. And I understand that that's more evaluative kind of thing. But it's not my, not my place to be judging people. Well, let God do that. He is the judge of the living, or quick, the old translation, living and the dead, quick and the dead. Uh, but, but that's his job. And so in light of the fact that not only everything we do is before God, but, but he is the one who cares for all of the things in terms of the final evaluation, the final word, all of that. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, two pieces there. One is his appearing. You know, you know the story that when Jesus was among us and he was crucified and he rose from the dead and was raised, depending on what translation you read, was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven and the Apostles' Creed will tell you from there he will come to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, those who are alive and those who have died. That's all part of the theology of a doctrine kind of thing. But there is this appearing. There is this return of Christ. There is this second coming of Christ. And in light of that and his kingdom, which I think is not so much future established. That's certainly a part of it. But it's his kingdom here and now. I give you this charge in light of the fact that you're doing all of this before the presence of God, in light of the fact that he is coming in light of the fact that he is the one who's going to judge, here's a charge I have for you. Here's the charge. And so now Paul lays out to Timothy the charge. And the first priority is the priority of the preached word. It's a, first of all, it's a solemn charge. He says, I, I give you that task. I give you that responsibility in light of all the things that have gone on. Um, we, we have... Uh, in some churches, we're in a different we're in a different season. We're in a different world. There has been a a shift, I believe, away from the traditional preaching of the word to more of a facilitating of the word, a teaching of the word, and and so uh, sometimes you can get uh, you can get uh, the the pastor will. We'll pull up a nice bench like this, and he'll sit here and pontificate a little bit about that 
that, uh, that word, and he will teach the word. And that is essentially the heart and soul of the service. There will not be the sense of the preaching of the word or the thus saith the Lord. That seems to be going aside a bit. Paul, in his instruction to Timothy, will simply say, you need to be preaching the word. Now, he's not saying, just preach. Get up on Sunday and preach. No, he's saying, preach the word, the content. Now, you know, you can, you can get, you can, you can go to churches of many different flavors and the more, the more liberal you find them, the more wild and woolly can be stories in terms of the sermon on Sunday. Uh, it, it may or may not use the Bible at all. That's a possibility. It may be just the latest and greatest of what's going on in pop psychology or whatever else. This is very comfortable preaching like this, you know. To be perfectly honest, this is okay, you know. But 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 I don't want to. I don't just get into a teaching book. But I, I uh, all, all I'm saying is that it's preach the word. There are two important words for the church never to lose sight of. One is the word for preach, which literally the word, the base word is called kerygma, kerygma, kerygma. And, and that's simply the proclamation of the gospel. That's the proclamation of the good news. The other word that the church cannot afford to lose is the word didache, which is teaching. So there's two words, the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel. Both of those are important parts of the church. You cannot have the church be the church and only do one. It, 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 you're not going to be a full-orbed ministry. There needs to be the preaching of the word. Now, it is entirely possible <clears throat> that a pastor may be more wired to use gift of teaching. And, and I, I confess that that's more my bend. But we can never abdicate just conveying information empowered by the Holy Spirit in teaching. We can never abdicate the preaching of that word as well. It has to have both. So whoever the next pastor is that comes to ministry at City Light Church, I want you a, to be praying. You know, we've, we've been on that on that horse for a while, be praying, keep on praying. But when he comes, encourage him to be a preacher of God's word. And you can do that in a variety of ways by just kind of pushing him to that direction, say, we, we want to hear God's word proclaimed, preached. The good news that comes in Christ Jesus, that's more than just... Uh, you know, let's try to do the best we can and keep this thing together and try to be good and do people, do good things for our community. It's, it's thus saith the Lord. That's got to be part of it. That's got to be part of our passion. So here's the charge. In light of all the stuff that's a part of verse 1, Paul now says, here's the heart of it. This is a solemn charge. Preach the word. I read this week of a story that was told about D.L. Moody, this founder uh, of Moody Bible Institute. Have you ever heard of that? Have you ever heard of 
Moody Bible Institute. David, have you ever heard of Moody? Yeah, I have. Okay. All right. So, so, so we've got we've got that in terms of an anchor point in a series of messages that he preached at what was called then Farwell Hall, Farwell, not Farwell, Farwell, Farwell Hall. It's a word twisting here. Uh, there were large crowds that began to attend the meeting, and on on one particular night, he preached to the largest congregation he'd ever addressed in the city, and he preached on a text that was from Matthew 27, and the question was this, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? That was his text. At the close of the service, <coughs> he did not call for an immediate decision, but rather said this apparently, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the next week, and next Sabbath, when we come together again to Calvary Church, and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. And that's not an unfair thing to have people think through what that decision is about. However, he considered that to be one of the biggest mistakes that he made. The year was 1871. 1871 is the year in which, interesting enough, between two Sundays, this Sunday he preached and the Sunday he said, we're going to do it next week, the Chicago fire broke out <clears throat> and essentially destroyed uh, all of, most of Chicago. Even as he went home that night from the service, he saw the glare of flames that were on the other side of the river, and he knew that it was going to be a problem for Chicago. About 1 o'clock, that hall that he preached in was destroyed by fire. Not too long after that, his own church went up in flames. When he got home, he went to bed, but wasn't in bed very long before the alarm went. But the fire had spread across the river, and now his whole area was jeopardized as well, and so flames were moving, and they needed to move as well. Only what they could carry with their hands was able to be saved. It was an anniversary, 20-some years later, when Moody again addressed a large audience and made this comment. He says, I have never dared give an audience a week to think of their salvation since that day. Recalling that previous occasion, he says, if they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I remembered Mr. Sankey. Ira Sankey was his singer that often would accompany uh, to, to make the, the, the impact of the ministry as well. How his voice rang when he came to pleading this particular verse of a song. He said, today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of judgment falls and death is nigh. He says, I've never seen that congregation since. I've had hard work to keep back tears over that. I've looked over this audience. Not a single one is here that I preached to that night. But I want to tell you one lesson I learned that night. He said, when I've, which I've never forgotten, and that is when I preach, to press Christ upon the people then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have had that right hand cut off than to give an audience now a week to decide what to do with Jesus. 
Now, I know that the whole process, when you preach the word, you, 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 have, you have the prepared preacher, you have the prepared audience, you have the witness of the gospel that's been given to that point before where someone shared something of the truth of Christ and the gospel of Christ is able to set a person free and create the year of jubilee for them. You have all of that stuff that's been going on, and it may be, it may be that that fruit is not ripe. And you have to always be aware that it's all up to about God. But for Moody, he learned a lesson that night, and that was preach the word, but give people that opportunity to respond to the truth of God's word. Preach the word. It was a solemn, a solemn charge. Uh, A.W. Tozer tells a story where he heard of a, a graduate of a theological school who determined to follow a professor's advice that he had been given and preach the word only. And so he did that. His crowds were average. Uh, then one day a cyclone hit his town, and uh, he, he gave up or yielded to the temptation to preach on the topic, why did God send a cyclone to Centerville? That Sunday when he preached, the church was packed. And the young preacher was shook because now he's in the horns of a dilemma. He went back to his prophet and he said, well, look, he said, if I, if I, if I, if I just kind of tweak these messages a little bit, maybe I'll get more people. Should he continue to preach the word to smaller crowds or should he fill his church by preaching sermons that might be a little bit more sensational? The old man didn't change in his mind, the prof. He said, if you preach the word, you will always have a text. But if you wait for cyclones, you will not have enough to go around. So you never know. Always preach the word. Preach the word. In a world of itching ears, preach the word. To a generation that has gone astray, preach the word. In a time of moral crisis, preach the word. When people don't want to hear you, preach the word. In good times and in bad times, preach the word. When people listen and when they don't listen, preach the word. And so that's the charge. That's the first part of the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Never abdicate the privilege of preaching the word. James Stewart, uh, not Jimmy Stewart, not, 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 not the Indiana PA guy. Uh, this James Stewart is an early British uh, writer, preacher, uh, wrote a couple of different books. In my library, I review them periodically. One is called uh, Faith to Proclaim, and the other is called Heralds of God, both of which are very powerful books in terms of reminding pastors of the importance of the preached word, the kerygma, the, the proclamation of God's word. And so that can never be abdicated by, by the pastor in his responsibility. It is a solemn charge. I know that, I know that at times pastors may forget the importance of that proclamation event. Uh, you might think of all the other things that a pastor 
would do in terms of counsel and teaching and administration and all the all the grocery list of things that he uh, would would be doing. But I would tell you, you can never forget that charge always begins with preach the word. And so it must be a part of our process. That's part of the charge, preach the word. The next part is quite interesting as well because it calls for a constant preparedness would be the phrase I would use at the end of verse 2. Be prepared in season and out of season. So that's the next piece. So what in the world is that? Are we talking about hunting seasons when we were coming up? Barb said, hey, did you see those hunters over there? I said, no, honey, I'm driving. I'm paying attention on the road. You know, but apparently there were three hunters in their, I don't know if they were fluorescent, did they have fluorescent orange? They had a little bit of fluorescent orange, enough to get by so they can fool the deer. I guess must be. Anyway, so did you see? No, I didn't. We're not talking about open season. But in one sense, we're talking about two kinds of season. Here he uses the phrase, be prepared, be prepared. Semper paratus. Who is this? Is that Marines? Is that Coast Guard? Coast Guard? Thank you. Okay, well, I knew it was one of those guys. Uh, Semper, Fide, Semper Fi would be Marines, right? Semper Fidem. Okay, right. so Semper Fi, always be prepared. Be prepared. And I go back to my quote that I used before. Success occurs when preparation meets opportunity. Success occurs when preparation meets opportunity. Be prepared. Be prepared to what? Be prepared in season and out of season. What in the world is he talking about? I think he's talking about our interaction with people around us. Here's the charge. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, one translation or one paraphrase of this would, would, would express it this way. You take the opportunity and you make the opportunity. In other words, as you relate with people, there's, there's a constancy in your life about being prepared to share good news with them. Now, I, I thought about, I was thinking about that this week. I thought, how, how would the congregation at City Light do in terms of preparedness to be able to share the gospel when God gives them an opportunity? What would they do? And I thought, well, if it's a typical church, there can be a variety of things that a church or that an individual might choose to do. He might, he might first of all say, okay, let me call the pastor because and dial 1-800-GET-ME-QUICK or whatever, whatever match numbers. Uh, let's get the pastor. He does this kind of thing, and he will come over and talk with you. Okay, that's A response. Okay, B, call the elder, because the elder's eld, and they should be able to do this kind of thing to be able to give you work. That's two. Three, call the deacons, because deacons deek really well. And so we'll get them to come in and share the word. I think that the sequence of here 
preach the word followed by be prepared in season and out of season is, is a really neat sequence because it calls us to be not only heralds of God, but it calls us to be prepared to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us at any opportunity. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what God has been doing in the life of that person that you're connecting with right then. It may be that it could be in season. In other words, God has ripened everything. He's created everything to be able to help that person come from, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Remember the kingdom of verse 1? Okay. It, it may be it's time to do a transfer. It may be that it might not be the opportune time. Maybe, maybe God is not ready yet in terms of having worked in that person's life to bring them to that point. Maybe there's a little more truth they need. Maybe so they don't make a premature decision that, that results in an in, uh, inadequate in or incomplete decision to follow Christ along the way. Be prepared. But the, the verb there is not stuck on whether it's in season or out of season. The verb is semper paratus, always be prepared. So here's the question. If you were given the opportunity this week to share the gospel with, of Christ with somebody, what would they look like for you? What would that look like for you? Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to give someone else a reason for the hope that is within you? Now, there are all kinds of tools, you know. You can share Jesus without fear using Bill Feynman. You can use a little gold booklet or blue booklet or whatever color booklet you want that maybe gives you, you know, four spiritual laws or, or uh, how, to, how to come to faith in Christ. There may be all kinds of tools you can use. You may, you may know enough about the Bible to be able to provide some tracks on which to rule. To, to help the person say, hey, look, here, let me let me show you some verses from the book of Romans. And maybe for you, you could use what we sometimes refer to as the Roman road. And that was that, you know, you, you find the verses that talk about the sinfulness of man, Romans 3.23. You find, you find Romans 6.23 in terms of the wages of sin is death. And you may go through that verse, and Romans 5.8, Romans 10, 9 and 10. You will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. You can save, and believe him with your heart, you shall be saved. You may go to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and say, I, I beg of you to present yourself as a living, you present your body as a living sacrifice. You may have a tool like that. Maybe you've got those things in your head. Are you ready for the person that God is going to be bringing to your world? Boy, this chair is comfortable today. I don't know what it is. I just, this is really, it's good. Anyway, so here's the point. Be prepared. For the time when God has orchestrated, when everything is working really well, and other times when it may not be quite right, but be ready because you never know when that's going to happen. When I was growing up, I used to hunt. Small game, large game, any kind of game at times would be fun, but you know, uh, but so we'd, we'd go. We'd go out. I uh, grew up in Erie, so we'd go down. We had family relatives down in Titusville. 
I think Titusville got beat by Oil City the other night on football game, 98 to nothing. It was, it was, it was, and that was, it, it was, it was merciless. So it, it was painful to watch. Uh, but, but, and that was the game of the week. I thought, my goodness gracious, you've got to find something better than that. Anyway, but so be that as it may. Titusville. So we go down to the farm in Titusville. And uh, uh, my dad, you know, I was a young hunter. My dad would park me somewhere and said, now you got to be watching. And I was watching. I was watching the squirrels. I was watching the birds. I was, and that wasn't the point. You know, but you, you, you see all the other things. But, but you've got to anticipate in terms of where the, the deer may come from watching. So, so I'd always be very cautious and watch. Okay. There were times when it was ready. It was just the right seat. And there were other times where you might as well just be reading a book and uh, and uh, doing something else because n nothing was seemingly ready. It wasn't quite the right time. But I had to be prepared. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. And uh, let's uh, let's I'll give you a couple more pieces. And then we're going to save the rest till next week and get at it, okay? Or keep at it. Let's put it that way. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes has an interesting phrase in this whole issue of constant preparedness, and it puts it this way. He says, sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 6. Dale Moody put it this way. He said, The world has yet to see what God can do with a man or a woman faithfully consecrated to him. By God's grace, I aim to be that man. Preparedness, constant preparedness. This also, in terms of the charge, gives a conveys a clear purpose. So that's the last piece here for today. And there are three words that he uses that are a part of that purpose. So if you're literally looking at a charge, technically it's five things, but uh, we package it a little bit differently. So I'm talking about clear purpose. We're putting three words in terms of that particular, uh, that particular emphasis and phrase. So look at the words very briefly. He says, I want you to correct, rebuke, and encourage. That is to be a part of not, not only the proclamation, but the teaching of the word, the relationship that we have with people as we share the message of the gospel with people. It has a purpose to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, if you recall from earlier passage, we talked about it uh, back up right into the third chapter, verse 16, that, that verse I talked about, the inspiration of Scripture, all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So he's coming right back around on that in the fourth chapter to reinforce that, to correct. Now, do you like to be corrected? Yeah, I don't think so. We don't, we don't say... You know, you, you uh, confession time is okay here. Um, and this is not my home. Uh, I'm not going to tell you something about my wife and I did. So you can relax just a little bit more. Um, I serve as an ordination sponsor for 
people from time to time. I've won, I have two guys that I'm working with. And uh, one of the guys submitted a paper in the English, and it was absolutely atrocious. It was, and you don't submit a paper to an English major and don't expect to get something back that's corrected. Okay? So I sent that back to him, and I never, I never heard anything further about that. I thought, oh, man, I must have really blessed. I, he must be devastated. So we talked about it eventually. He said, no, he said, I, he said, I know I need to do better. And I did, didn't spell check it, and I didn't do the grammar kind of thing. And, and maybe the words, I, I said, yeah, that, all those things are true. You can do better. I'm not here to rain on your parade. Make sure that you're able to put everything together syntactically and all that business. But you can do better. You can. This can be better. This can be improvement. So correcting. Now, sometimes I think of correcting as is kind of like hammering on somebody, and I don't think that's the intent here. It's to make sure that truth is being observed. It's to make sure that the information or the statements that are being said are accurate. It's an issue of accuracy. And, and if it's left to me, and it's not going to be accurate because my opinion, your opinion, all that kind of stuff. But when we base it upon God's word, that's where the truth is. That's where the correction comes from. So he says, as you, there's, there's the charge, I want you to correct. Sometimes we get a little hesitant to correct people. And it's not because we're looking for things to nitpick on. It's just that you want them to have the truth. It's interesting in a discussion uh, I think it was in the Bill Fay material of Share Jesus Without Fear. You know, there's a process you go through, but one of the things that is pointed out is that if a person makes a statement or they or they a statement that's inaccurate or not correct, the response that comes around is if you if you wanted to know if you wanted to know the truth, would you be would you be offended if I didn't give it to you? That, that, that didn't come out straight. Um, in other words, if you, if, you, if you wanted to know the truth, would, would, you, would you want to know that? In other words, if, if the truth was something else than what you're believing, would you want to know that? And the implication is, well, yeah, I'd want to know that. You know, if I, you know pick an area to illustrate in terms of whether traffic kind of thing and, and all the traffic is moving one way and you're going the other way. And, yeah, what are you going to do about that? Well, you, you, the truth is you need to get going the right way. But do you want to know that or do you want to end up in a pile somewhere? So it, correction involves bringing truth to the person so they can better make that informed decision and response to the truth of Christ. Rebuke is the second word that's used to describe there. Interestingly enough, it's used 29 times in the New Testament. And we might think, well, rebuking isn't so much a big deal. But the point is that Jesus often had to and chose to rebuke people who chose to believe something different than the truth or chose to remain in their darkness and their attitude instead of moving toward the light. If correcting means to bring the light or the truth to someone, rebuking means that you talk to that person and you call them up on that. You call them on that. And you don't do that with, I know more than you do. I'm smart. You're not. You know, I'm an adult, you're a kid. You don't, you don't come that direction. You come with a rebuke. How, how is that to be done? With the language in verse uh, 2, 
It says you do that with great patience and careful instruction. And then the third word that is used to describe is the word to encourage. Now that's that's a word we can work with a little bit more comfortably because we encourage people. We, we just try to urge them on to something. Interestingly enough, the word that is used there, the base of that word, is the same word we get our word paraclete from, which I said paraclete, not parakeet. Okay, paraclete is the word for the Holy Spirit. In other words, in other words, we are called to encourage someone to, and here's the imagery, come alongside of them. It's one thing to sit and, and be pontificating from a position up here, a power influence, and just feel like you're coming down on somebody. It's another thing to get and sit right down next to them and say, you know, I've been noticing this. Do you see? Are you seeing that thing? Are you seeing? Are you seeing that, that God has been bringing truth to you, but you've been putting off making a response? Have you seen that? Are you noticing that? And so you come alongside them, and that is all to be done at the end of verse two, with great patience and careful instruction. Two things there, and this is a wonderful portion of scripture. Great patience, have patience, patience. Sometimes patience is is hard. When you want to see somebody come to faith in Christ, and it, it seems like they're just not quite ready. Are, are, have you been praying? Have you been praying for over people? Your, 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 your circle of influence, your, your circle of prayer people? We used that tool before where you have this grocery list or you have a hit, a hit list, but that's, you know, it's, that doesn't sound very very objective but anyway but you have people that you're praying for and then you begin to watch and see what God is doing to stir things to create opportunity for you to share but you do that with patience because you don't want to try you don't want to force something but you want to be able to bring truth to light enable them to come to that place with patience and with the gentleness of response careful instruction and it requires clarification. It requires more truth that comes to, so that the person begins to be drawn to the Christ, not to me, but to the Christ. And then when you have the prospect of that wonderful time when suddenly the light goes on. I remember uh, we were in ministry. I was telling Barb that I woke up early this morning uh, a couple times. I was thinking back to ministry, when we first started out as an assistant pastor in Minnesota, or Minnesota, depending on how you like the process. So I was thinking about that, and I said, you know, I was thinking about all the people that we got acquainted with at Simpson Memorial Church in St. Paul. I said, I started rattling off names, and I thought, I'm amazed I can remember. That was almost 50 years ago. I started picking off these names, and I thought, Wow, the Lord just brought those people to mind, and I thought, I wonder if they really followed on with God, you know, where they do that kind of thing. I remember one gal in particular, her name was LaVon, and uh, the, the pastor, uh, Jerry Wellborn, the pastor of the church there, uh, had, had been talking with her. And one Sunday morning, she made, she made a response to the invitation to receive Christ as her personal Savior. She got up, she was prayed for at the altar, she got up, and these were her first words. Never forget, she said, it's like Christmas. It's like Christmas. It's, 
it's the year of Jubilee where it all comes together. And you say, I get it. I see it. I see it. That's pretty good, eh? You know? You get the Canadians in there a little bit. That's pretty good, you know? But here's the chart. Here's the preach the word, preach the word. Now we'll get to the other parts next week, but uh, that's that's where we're at for today. So I've given you the, the, the load, but, but here. So in light of the D.L. Moody story, understand this. God longs to bring each one of us to a place of closeness with Christ. You may be still in process. You may be nearer than when you were when you first got acquainted with City Light or some other ministry that has drawn your heart in. But the point is, have you come to the place where you have made the choice to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? That's what the preaching of the gospel is all about. Billy Graham, crusades come to mind where people would make a response and walk down an aisle and say, I want to receive Jesus Christ. And they come just as they are without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. And that's always the invitation. So I want to close in prayer. I want to give you an opportunity. If you've, if, you, if you've not really expressed that faith, you've not really accepted Christ as your personal Savior, and that's something you long to do today, I'm just going to give you that opportunity. So let's pray. Now, Father, thank you for the faithfulness of your word. We've been into this book of the last word of Paul to this young man, Timothy. Last writings that we have of his. And here today... We've been reminded of a charge. The old hymn writer said, Lord, thou hast given to me a trust, a high and holy dispensation to tell the world until I must the story of thy great salvation. Thou mightst have sent from heaven above angelic hosts to tell the story, but in thy condescending love on men thou hast conferred the glory. Let me be faithful to my trust. So today, Father, as you prepared all of our hearts, I pray that you will draw us to yourself. And if there's one here today that has never come to that place of faith in Christ, I ask that you'll give them the courage, even today, to make that move toward you. To simply say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. I realize that there's nothing I can do to save myself. But I fly to Jesus and receive the gift of life from him that he alone can give. And I confess my sin and I turn from my sin and I receive by your great grace. Your grace is enough. The gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. To this end, I ask, Father, that you'd bring us to that point. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your peace that always attends us. And by your good grace, may we draw close to you, closer than we've ever been before. Help us to be faithful to the trust you've given to us, the charge you've given to us. This isn't just to preachers, to all of us. 
to be heralds of God, ready in season, out of season. So do your work for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ, I pray. All God's people say, Amen and Amen. And if today you've drawn nearer to the Christ and made that prayer of faith or made that response, talk to someone here today to just encourage you along the way. Remember, that's one of the purposes here, to encourage as well.